term for slew in the Greek language is, um, is a very specific term that was used for sacrificial animals. Um, uh, it's, a very, it's a very specific technical term. It's the same term that they used when the high priest went into the temple and they would um, take the lamb and they'd pull the head back and cut its throat. It's the same term. That's where we're getting that from. Uh, kind of a two-part question. Have you ever counseled any non-believers? And if so, how do you address a non-believer's issues with depression when they don't adhere to the biblical truth? Oh, that's really a great question. <laughs> Can I keep this answer short? That's going to be interesting. But um, you've got to remember this, that all counseling is pre-counseling until that person comes to Christ. All right? All counseling is pre-counseling until that person comes to Christ. That's always true. You cannot counsel an unbeliever. Why? Because the unbeliever marches to a different authority. Right? At best, at best, the Bible is to the unbeliever a set of suggestions. That's at best. All right? Maybe they'll take it. Maybe they won't take it. I don't know. They're certainly interacting with that truth from an unregenerate heart, okay? So, um, if you do get an unbeliever to obey the Bible and, and do what the Bible says, what have you really done? You've turned that unbeliever into a Pharisee who on the outside performs what they think is the right thing, but on the inside, they're still rebels against God. That's a Pharisee. I don't want to turn unbelievers into Pharisees. That actually separates them further from the truth. Why? Well, because um, um, they begin to think that they can keep God's law in order to get to heaven, which is further from the truth of the grace of the gospel than they were before when they believed that they couldn't keep God's law. They really can't, and they offend only in one point. They are lost for all eternity. There has to be a perfect, and they don't understand that, but they pride themselves in thinking, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. So, but for the Christian, the Bible is their marching orders. They march underneath this authority. Uh, their heart is given to Christ. There's something, well, the something is the Holy Spirit at work in that believer's life assenting to the truth of the word of God and they want to do it now Christians can behaviorally do it for a while and not really want to do it but they're going to be going against everything inside of them that says no they need to obey this from the heart that's the key now that doesn't mean that I won't help an unbeliever if I have an unbeliever who's severely depressed and trying to commit suicide I'm going to do everything I can to get them some kind of physical help or get them on some kind of psychotropic drugs with a medical doctor or a psychiatrist um, to prevent them from committing suicide. Because Paul says in Galatians that we are to do good to all men in terms of common grace. We are to do good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. All right? But 
Again, all counseling is pre-counseling until that person comes to Christ. You cannot, in any length of time, counsel an unbeliever with the Bible because you will just turn that unbeliever into a Pharisee. I hope that was short enough. Um, from what I heard, it almost sounds like depression is because you are a bad Christian. Can you expand on that? <laughs> I didn't hear exactly your first words. Uh, what did you say at first? From what I heard. Oh, from what you heard. Okay. I didn't hear that. Okay. Um, it almost seems like depression is uh, being a bad Christian. Well, I think you only heard part of what I said because I did talk about the fact there are physical problems that bring on depression-like symptoms, and you can be faithfully serving the Lord and those kind of things. In fact, I went through that whole list of possible organic complications if these particular symptoms are there that can be the triggering cause or the root of the depression. But if all of those things have been ruled out, then the answer to your question is yes. That's right. There's something wrong physically in that person's life. I mean, spiritually, in that person's life. Um, and, but you're there to help them. That's where the grace of the gospel comes in, to help them. And the gospel is, and the truth of the word of God is extremely powerful in purifying the heart and pulling that person out of the depths of despair. Extremely powerful. Yeah. On the other side, then, if you're not suffering from depression, can you say that you're on a good track? No. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to hear why when we talk about guilt. Because um, sometimes it may mean that your conscience is not trained well with the Word of God. If your conscience was well trained, you would, um, you'd be able to see more sin in your life. <laughs> uh, sometimes I compare it like this. I say to the counselees, imagine you're walking through the woods and it's just rained. I, this is, people don't understand this in Southern California, but you understand this here. <laughs> All right. It's just rain and you're walking through the wood and there's a big mud puddle and it's dark and it's at night and you don't see the med pod, mud puddle and you fall into the mud puddle and you're covered with mud. All right. And you get out of the mud puddle and you're just covered and terrible and way off in the distance. You can see a light on the other side of the woods. And you know that that light is the cabin where you're headed. And so you start walking towards that light. But as you're walking, the mud is drying and you're wiping it off as it dries. You're wiping it off and you're wiping off. Now, the closer you get to that light the more dirty you see you are. But you're a whole lot cleaner than you were when you... You're a whole lot cleaner than you were when you first came out of that mud puddle. Right? So the closer you walk to the truth, the more dirty you see you are. But you're a lot better off than when you were first saved. Okay? That's really such a key thing. There is a real sense in which 
Sin should discourage us, but not depress us. Why? Because in depression, there is no God in the picture. When we are sinful Christians, God is still in the picture, and he is a merciful and gracious father. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, he's bringing about his sanctification in our life. Does that help you? Yeah. Wow, I answered all the questions. Oh, no, no, there's one that came up. I, made a, uh, I just want to clarify a point. Like, I think you made it earlier, like, depression is basically uh, without God. But I think one of the points you said, someone may think they have God, but, but God is not having an effect in their life. Can you explain that yeah, a little yeah. bit? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I didn't elaborate on that at all, did I? I, I made that comment about the fact that they may profess to be a Christian, but at the same time, uh, the, the factor of God makes no difference in their situation of de- depression. And that's such a critical thing um, uh, because they, they see God as completely detached. Uh, we would say in theological terms um, that they go from being a true theist to a deist in their behavior. Uh, there is a God out there, but he somehow is totally detached from what I'm going through. But it's not a God that's intricately involved in their life and what's going on in their life at that particular time. <clears throat> and bringing, getting that person out of their deistic theology to a theistic theology is the process that you want to take them through. All right? That's where you want to go. That's a, it's a really good question. I'm really glad you brought that up. And I'm hoping probably to elaborate on that more in our next session, but good. Don't run. Don't run. You just had surgery. You're making me nervous. <sighs> um, just curious, the statistics rate of success for those that you counsel. What rate of success? Yeah, is it 100%? Does anybody ever? <laughs> well, the answer is yes. Honestly, it's 100%. I don't know. It depends on what you mean by success. All right. And do, do they relapse? Oh, see, that's not the issue. That's a worldly standard. Okay. Um, all biblical counseling either reveals the person who wants to really do things God's way or doesn't want to do things God's way. All right? That's the issue. The worldly standard is um, success is measured by that person feeling better. Okay? That's not success for me. Success for me is always being faithful to the truth of the word of God, and then God reveals that person for who they are. You see the difference between the two? So I, I know it sounds... The world would totally reject my measurement of success, but I want it to be a biblical measurement of success, not a worldly measurement of success. Um, And honestly, God sovereignly works in people's lives, and it's totally up to him. I can't manufacture that. Um, Sometimes there have been times when I'm counseling people with depression 
where I thought, oh my goodness, John, you did a fantastic job. I mean, how can anybody resist that? All right? And you know what? No change occurs in their life. What? And then there have been other times where I've counseled a really severely depressed person, and I've walked out of there thinking, man, that person has got the lousiest counselor on the planet. And God radically transforms their life. I'm going, ah. Ultimately, it's not up to me. I have to be faithful at delivering the truth. Then God's going to do what God's going to do. I can't predict that. Some of the most impossible cases... Let me give you an example. All right? Let me give you an example. I've asked for permission to use this as an illustration and been given permission, so I'm, this is the reason why I'm giving you this example. Um, several years ago, we had a uh, woman come to our church. Um, she had been married four times and divorced, and she was 29 years of age. Um, well, actually, to be more technical about it, about it, her mother was coming to the church. She hadn't come to our church yet. But her mother came to me, and her mother was a very faithful um, person in our church, and she said, my daughter tried to commit suicide. She's in the local hospital. Would you go see her? I said, sure, absolutely. So I went up to see her, and she was in the psych ward, and her name was Catherine, and I went in and... I said, hi, Catherine. I'm your mother's pastor. Your mother asked me to come and see you and uh, sit down with her and had about an hour conversation with her. Just sat there by the bed. And eventually I said to Catherine, I said, Catherine, if you really want to deal with this God's way, then you're going to jump through the hoops here that you need to in order to get out of the hospital. But you're going to come and I'll be willing. My wife and I will be willing to disciple you and work with you. Um, The thing that made her so depressed was the fact she, she had been divorced four times and she wasn't even 30 years of age yet. And she was living with a guy who was not her husband and he had two or three kids and um, those kids were young enough. They thought, the kids thought that she was their mother, but she was not their mother. There was another woman who was their mother. Uh, the other woman wasn't even in the picture. I don't know whether she was off somewhere, another part of the world or on drugs, I don't know what it was, but um, so Catherine got out of the hospital, started coming to see me, and on the very first appointment, Catherine, in tears, just gives her life to Jesus Christ, just surrenders her life to Christ, and after that particular point, she, that very day, went back, moved out from this guy, and this guy hated it. And he let it be known around town that he wanted to kill me because I had taken the mother of his children away. (laughs) I hadn't done that. God had done that. But uh, I actually ended up meeting with him once. And uh, um, all he wanted to do was argue about evolution and that kind of stuff. But um, so she was gloriously saved. And for the next couple of years, she was in our church and really grew rapidly in the Lord and And uh, all of the problems that she had and the serious suicide she had gone through was all really put in the past. She ran into a guy, um, didn't go to our church, went to another church that believed he was a Christian. And she wouldn't have even been interested in him if he didn't even ask 
say that he was. But she says, you know what? I'm not going to date you until you go see my pastor. <laughs> I wish more women would do that. <laughs> All right? I'm not even going to date you. Um, and so his name was Brian. And Brian came to see me. And on the second counseling appointment I had with Brian, he came to Christ. Uh, and just like Catherine, Brian began to grow leaps and bounds in the Lord. Just leaps and bounds. And they eventually I performed their wedding. They got married. Um, Brian one day came up to me after church on Sunday and said, uh, Pastor, I, I, I want to go to seminary. I want to learn the scriptures. I'm going, well, best place to go is Master Seminary. <laughs> he said, okay. So he packed up. I was pastoring in Ohio at the time. He packed up all of his bags, moved to California, started going through the Master Seminary. Brian went through the Master Seminary, got his MDiv, got his THM, got his THD, and Brian is now the Hebrew professor at Master Seminary. But the first contact I had was with his wife, Catherine, in that psychiatric hospital. She had become so depressed, she tried to seriously commit suicide. And now she's a pastor's wife. So, God can radically transform people. And I'm very grateful for that. You cannot counsel unbelievers, but there's only one thing you can do with them, the Bible says, you can evangelize them. And so that's what I do. I spend my time talking the gospel with them. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah. yeah, good. Yep. Okay, maybe one more for this time. Or... Is it advisable to go up to someone or probably someone you're closest to say, Oh, I think you're depressed, or would that cause that person to be yeah. more depressed? I'd duck if I were you. It's okay, Vivian, you can tell me anytime. <laughs> um, I think, you know, uh, Proverbs talks about there's a timely word. There's a, there's a time to say things, there's a time not to say things. And we have to choose. Sometimes people are going to be open. I think you can judge fairly well when a person's open to receive that kind of information and when they're not, when they want to talk with you about it. I don't, I mean, I speak to hundreds and hundreds of people. I, I think I'm pretty good, sometimes I misjudge, at reading people's body language, okay? And what's going on with them. Um... Just over the years, working hours and hours and hours, hundreds, thousands of hours in counseling, reading people's body language, you get a pretty good fix on where people are coming from. Um, so there are a lot of people who I, I would say, you have a problem, don't you? But I don't say it until they're ready, until they want to talk about it. Then I know the Spirit of God is working in their life, and they're ready. They're open. But I can force stuff on them. I can force truth on them. And they're not going to be... Because the Spirit of God has not been working in their life. There have been other people different than Brian and Catherine that I've tried to share the truth of the gospel with. 
and they've just turned it down. They've walked away from it. Uh, thankfully, it's not been a lot. I'd really be discouraged <laughs> if it was, but there are people who are like that, and they're, it, the Spirit of God is not working in their life. The truth of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit reveals where that person is in their thinking. So the answer is no, not until they're ready. Ready for the truth. Okay, well, our time is up for this evening. We have our time this morning. So right now at this time, uh, thank you, Dr. Street. Let's give him a a, a warm applause.